Hey, Teresa. Hey, Sam. What's up? Um, well, it's Chinese New Year today, so happy Chinese New Year. The year hey. of the ox. Um, you know, we eaten some Chinese food. Um, we getting some money. It's a good start to the year. Have you done anything to celebrate? Um, tomorrow, my friends are gonna come over, and we're gonna cook some food. And um, I Facetime my parents today, and I got them flowers from the local Hyde Park flower shop that I'm trusting Iris to pick up, even though I don't know if she'll remember. Can she drive? <laughs> no, she's taking driving lessons right now, though. Shout out Nova Driving School. Uh, Nova. The driving teacher from the Nova Driving School made me one of, was one of the most like uncomfortable experiences of my life. Um, when he like pried like into every single detail of my life and then like made inferences about how good of a person I was based on them. I was like, I don't need this. I'm trying to learn how to drive. Uh <laughs> Well, clearly he didn't really teach you because you're a bad driver. And oh, yeah. also, I remember when I was in the car with you shortly after you got your license, you said, I'm scared of the sun. <laughs> you know, I feel like that's a valid thing when you're driving. Like, there's nothing scarier than a bright sun. Oh, and remember that time where you pulled literally into the biggest open parking space by my house and just like... <laughs> we're just gonna leave it at that we don't need to hear um any more of that story and we're going to actually move on to today's episode we are going to be interviewing the musical legend swamp dog over a strawberry shake great let's get started So today I chose a strawberry shake in order to celebrate Valentine's Day. Um, what well, a holiday that I feel a bit conflicted about. I feel like it's like a holiday that comes with a lot of expectations, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. But strawberry shakes are, they used to be my favorite type of shake and they actually still are depending on the context. Like I love a strawberry shake that has like little bits of strawberry in it that has that like little bit of acidic flavor, um, but they can also be like by far the most boring when it's just made with, you know, the strawberry shakes that clearly taste like fake strawberry. But when you have the real strawberry, when you have everything in them, it's magical. And the one I have with me today is, um, it's, it's kind of in the middle. It has like those little flecks of strawberry, but it doesn't have like that kind of hearty taste that I really like. But um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the strawberry shake. Oh, yeah. So my roommate just put me on to Quest vanilla protein powder. And I used to like not like protein powder because I was like, that shit is disgusting. But this actually tastes delicious. And it makes my strawberry milkshake more creamy and like malt like, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, nobody really needs to be drinking protein powder, but if you're looking for that extra kick, I would recommend the Quest Vanilla Protein Powder for your strawberry milkshake. Yo, I will definitely check it out. That's an ad right there. <laughs> Please yeah. follow this It won't help you grow taller, though, only stronger. Well, um, shout out Quest, shout out uh, strawberry shakes in general. 
a good strawberry shake, I like even better than a chocolate shake personally, which I know is a hot take. But moving on to our guest today, we are going to be joined by the musical legend Swamp Dog. His given name is Jerry Williams, but he's gone by Swamp Dog since the 70s. And I was introduced to him through the work that I do with the Columbia radio station WKCR. Um, and I think I'll tell him this a little in the interview, but whenever I played his music, we'd have callers call in and say, like, this man changed my life. I remember this song. Um, he, his music's really impacted a lot of people. And I was immediately drawn to him because he keeps putting out albums. He is now, I think, 78 years old. And he consistently changes up his style, introduces new things, and is always like on the forefront of what's going on in soul music. Yeah, and his most recent release, Sorry You Couldn't Make It Demos, dropped on February 2nd on Bandcamp. Um, it basically features a collection of six of his demo tracks um, that were recorded between 1970s and 1980s. Each of the songs are also um, included on Swamp Dog's album that he dropped last year, Sorry You Couldn't Make It. Yeah, I'm super excited to be interviewing such an iconic soul and R&B legend. And with that, should we call him up right now? Yep, let's give him a call. Hey, how are you? Good, yeah, how are you? Where are you? I'll get it for you. We're right up here. I know that, but where? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm in New York okay. and Teresa's in Philly. Oh, I've lived both places. Which one yeah. do you like better? Uh, California. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, but I if, I had to, if I had to make a, a choice, um, I would move back to New York. Yeah, I, I, you were in New York for a long time, right? Yeah. 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 New York's a beautiful place. I don't know about beautiful. It's a, no, it's not beautiful. It, it's, it's just real. It's educational. It's, it's got everything you want. Just about any yeah. time you want. And I wake up one o'clock in the morning and my wife and I would go down to the to the village bookstores and Needix used to have those stands that stayed open with for selling hot dogs 20, 24 hours a day. And hell, I'd go down three o'clock in the morning to get me a hot dog. Shit, it was, it was nice. <laughs> it was real nice. And kind of on that note of New York. Um, the way that I found out about your music is I do a lot of programming for WKCR, you know, the New uh, York station. Yeah. Um, and I do a lot of soul programming for them. Right. And so I got really into your album, um, Love, Loss and Autotune. And that was kind of my introduction to your work. And no I used kidding. to play it all the time on air. Um, and I would get the wildest calls because people would call in and I would get like, oh, like this is so 
crazy and experimental and I would tell them it was your music and they'd go crazy and I heard so many old stories about you and people would call in about you all the time. No kidding. How come they don't call me? (laughs) (laughs) No, I had, um, I actually heard one guy, I was playing uh, God Bless America for what? At 4 a.m. And I got a call from a guy who told me that he hadn't heard that song since he was in Vietnam because it was banned when he came back to the States. He said he used to listen to that radio every single day and that that was like the first song and that like brought him back all this memories because he couldn't hear it because it was never on the radio here because it got banned. Yeah, I know. Um, (laughs) But that's the title killed it. It wasn't the song itself. Once you got in, uh, yeah. Yeah, the song song was made people angry also. And then I got involved with, with the protest marches with Jane Fonda. And it was just something that the record company didn't like. Yeah. yeah. So they told me to get my ass out of there. <laughs> so I did. But my question was how what does it feel like having new audiences and younger people like become acquainted with your music in this whole new way? Feels great. Um, It's like your doctor telling you, you got six months to live and you find out later there's another drug that gives you 60 more years to live, you know? And I thought my music would wear out. Apparently it hasn't worn out. And then I guess we can dive right into the new album too. Um, so we heard the demos, which were great, um, but I wanted to talk to you about Sorry You Couldn't Make It. And I wanted to just start with the album cover. And yeah. I know compared to some of your past album covers, this cover is pretty tame. Yeah. Uh, but I was also wondering, there's a lot going on in the photo. And could you tell us a little bit about the photo shoot and what you were trying to convey with the cover? I can't take credit for the entire thing. I can only take credit for the suit, for the outfit, which uh, I picked up at a at a country store that sells nothing but country gear and attire and all that. And but I did not realize that those guys was paying so much for those clothes and so forth. They're fucking hat, they got hats, man, for like $2,400. I said, damn, I know a suit must come with this motherfucker, you know? I actually wasn't all that enthusiastic about doing this album with uh, Joyful Noise. And I don't think Joyful Noise was all that thrill. I know they weren't to deal with me. And there's a there's a lot of stories out there. Only about 15% of them are true. People just add shit to it, take shit from it, and say this is what Swamp Dog did, or this is what Swamp Dog said. And uh, but it does. The way I feel 
comes out in my songs. Uh, this, this album was my, uh, I'm gonna call it my first shot at uh, country and western music, but really not. I've, I've, I've tried a few things. I've, I've, I've tried uh, country songs that were uh, were written by some real good country writers like um, Mickey Newberry. And um, I, I did a thing, I think it was on my second album. She even woke me up to say goodbye. And um, that was Mick Newberry. And Joe South, I just fell in love with Joe South when I got introduced to him, not, um, not on a face-to-face -face thing, but over the phone, we spoke. His, um, his manager and his publishing firm, Lowry Music, was down in, um, in Atlanta. And as a result of dealing with them, I think I cut three of his songs. Uh, Don't throw your love. Don't throw your love to the wind. Uh, uh, I can't think of others, but it would come to me. And what's your name? What is your name? I'm Sam, and that's Teresa. I'm Teresa. Sam and Teresa. Sam, your hair getting ready to leave you. <laughs> it used to be way worse. This is the tamer version of his hair. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like man. Mine flew. <laughs> mine flew away. <laughs> uh, Wait, I believe. <laughs> well, with Sam's hair, he doesn't have to spend money on hats. Uh no, no I don't think you could get one that fitted. Right. Mike. <laughs> If you go over there in Jamaica somewhere, <laughs> you know, cause they, they got shit, they got hair, make his hair look like a little plait. You know? <laughs> when they take, the, take those caps off, shit. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, kind of going off, you know, what you've been doing recently, we heard you made seven songs this week. Um, how do you keep on finding inspiration during quarantine? And how do you make seven songs in one week? Well, if I got somewhere for the songs to go, uh, such as, you know, uh, a producer or a show personality or somebody wants, like last night I did a, uh, was it John Fogarty? Is that his name? Yeah, with Credence Clearwater. Um, I I uh, I did keep a light in the window, something like that. And uh, for this production company that's getting ready to uh, have a have a new weekly show. They didn't want to, I don't think, get involved with all that 
uh, pay for this, pay for that every week and all of that. So they got me. You pay one time and it's over. Uh, and a, a lot of people have compared me to John Fogarty. I can hear a little bit of John Fogarty in my voice, but I've had other people look, uh, compare me to um, Van Morrison. Van, a lot of people have said that I sounded like Van Morrison. I don't hear it at all. And I hope Van Morrison ain't pissed cause somebody told him that. Uh, but the John Fogarty, I I heard, I heard it. I've always heard it because I, I, it's as something about my voice. I don't care how smooth and cool I take off. I always end up with this little rattle that shows up in my throat, and from there you gotta. Some bitch singing with a rattle in his throat, but people like it. They and I'm happy they like it. Yeah, that's definitely something I heard on this album, and that's something I thought was kind of unique about it. Um, and I was wondering, since you gave up a lot of control over the production on "Sorry You Couldn't Make It." Did that allow you to focus a bit more on your vocals and really show off um, some of your vocal chops? No, my chops are the same as they were when I was 25, I guess. Um, up until then, I didn't know what my chops were supposed to sound like, you know? So I didn't really go any direction, any particular direction. Uh, I would just sing. And that was the other thing. Up until then, I really didn't have control of my voice. I just opened my mouth and let shit come out, you know? But I learned better. But as you go along, you do learn. And it took me 20, 25 years to listen to myself good and see what I was doing wrong. And I kind of I, I like I like the new me. I keep adding to it, uh, doing things. Uh, I'd be glad when this pandemic uh, is over because then I get a chance to go out and and sing some more and, and try some more things with people. Um, and I'm, I'm steady working on new albums uh, uh, for Swamp Dog and I got a bunch of rap artists. They crazy in the motherfucker. But anyway, they <laughs> They're doing their own thing. We, we got two studios here in my house. And um, we use them. Mm -hmm. Kind what of. You, huh? 
Sorry, no, go ahead. No, I wasn't going to say nothing. I was going to ask him where he lived in Philadelphia. Oh, I live in um, West Philadelphia. Oh, you. You you lived in Philadelphia. I live in Philadelphia. Sam lives in New York, but we're both from Chicago. Mm. Yeah, I'm on 125th and Riverside right now. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering, because like I said, I lived in uh, Philly uh, in Germantown. Oh. On, um, I forgot the, sh the lane it was, some lane. Um, but this would take you all the way downtown. Broad. Is it broad? Yeah, broad. Mm -hmm. Broad Street. Broad. Mm -hmm. And um, I would... Uh, what happened when I got to Philadelphia was naturally had to make some money. So uh, I became friends with, with a guy who was like a handyman. And every night he would uh, clean the Uptown Theater where they had lots of shows and so forth. Well, you know about the Uptown Theater. Yeah. And uh, he gave me a job working with him, cleaning up the theater. Mm. And then I had another job in uh, Germantown at a place called Benny the Bums. And um, I used to go there and clean up every morning, everything, you know, down on my knees, doing the women's restroom and all that, but it was, but I had a family I had to take care of. Mm -hmm. So, and not completely, really, my wife was taking care of the family because she was the only one who really had a real job. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I brought in all I could, whatever I could. When yeah, it's so that all comes down to I lived in Philadelphia. Wow, but, yeah, I had no idea, and I just looked up Benny the Bums, and it has four and a half stars. So no people like the restaurant. Mm -hmm. Damn, I thought he'd be out of business by now. It was oh, maybe because you kept the place so nice and clean. <laughs> 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 and they oh at night I would sing there oh wow yeah on, on the weekends I would play piano and sing I'd have uh, about three other musicians and um, we would work that night I think he paid us about 15 20 bucks a piece per night and um, by the time, and then he gave me what ten dollars every morning for cleaning up the club. I'm doing pretty good uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> for You're hustling. Yeah, yeah. But I had five daughters, well, four daughters at that time, and then uh, Little Jerry was born. But when she was born, I was like in the 
in the driver's seat. I was calling a lot of shots and doing a lot of great things. Yeah. So. Um, and I think kind of with that story and something that's gone through your whole career, it seems like you've always been so willing to adapt and to change your sound. And I know a lot of artists would be jealous of how long your career has been. Um, yeah. So I was wondering, what is the secret for you to being able to constantly adapt and change? Because I love music. And if you got some new music you wanna, want me to hear or want me to get involved in, I'm open. And it doesn't take, doesn't take but hour maybe, if that much, to listen to somebody's material, listen to them sing or whatever. Um, plus, I, know, I, I got, uh, I got a, 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 a bleeding heart for, for artists. Uh, example, I go to an Al Green concert and I cry. I mean, great big old tears. I mean, when Al starts singing, I cry. When, when his band comes on, I start crying because he has them decked out in, uh, in, in, in these great suits. Every, everything is uniformed. And then he comes out and sings. And it's like nothing else in the world, I, um, I'd rather sit down and listen to Al Green than a lot of other artists. I, mean, I got other artists that I like, <clears throat> I guess as well as Al Green, but they, they don't stir that thing up in me that Al Green does, you know? He's, he's super bad, I, I think he's fantastic, yeah. I so, saw, yeah. I saw in like a um, an interview you did that you said that you like working with like younger artists, uh -huh. um, and so like how do how does I guess working with these younger artists, what do you notice about this new generation of musicians that's different from like other older artists that you admire like Al Green? Well, first of all, uh, they got. The, the 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 new artists that I've worked with have been rappers mostly, and I I listen to them. I learn a lot. I learn new phases, phrases, phrases, and they and I end up introducing them to some new phrases, some crap that I used to say with my friends in, when we were in junior high and all that. And I say something and he said, what'd you say now? Wow, you know, and I said, hey, it's just the saying. And they pick up things from me I just had to figure out where they were coming from musically. Uh, 
to me, I look at them as, just as a as poets, you know, they're just great poets, most of them. And um and the mute they don't know shit about music, but other than they like it and love it, but they don't they can't create it. I mean it's it's getting better now for them with all of the electronic equipment and everything. They can come up with with beats and so forth. You know, I I I walk around for a couple of years and they would ask me like, do you do beats? What the hell is he talking about? I said, beats, you know. So finally, um, you know, I found out is it, it was synonymous with just laying tracks, you know, but um, not the old way, which, you know, you bring in your drummer, guitar player, bass player, keyboard man, y'all sit down and maybe look at a lead sheet or something and get into it. But uh, just, they they've got the equipment which the companies have made uh for them where they already got beats in the in the equipment they've got all kinds of sounds got thousands and thousands of sounds so they can put their stuff together but they're not really they're not really learning a lot about what they're doing, mm. but it's, I guess it's all right because yeah, they make it money, which is the bottom line. I got uh, two records coming out, Big Crit. You hip to Big Crit? Yeah, I love Big Crit, yeah. You love Big Crit. Well, Big Crit got something of mine called dreaming, and this uh, they use not just a little piece here, a little piece there. Go back a little piece. They just put the record on and just let it play. <laughs> I said, "Damn!" And it's a it's a good good record, and it'll be out in April. Uh, yeah, Dreaming by Big Crit. Now, I had never heard of him. I looked him up, and but nothing rang a bell. See, that's the other thing. I wrote so many songs, and I still write a hell of a lot of songs. And because really, deep down, I'm a songwriter. That's what yeah, I went to. Yeah. That's what I went to New York to be, a songwriter. But yeah. um, at first I didn't do that great because people would listen to my music, to my song. Like I, in those days, every studio you went into, every office, they had a piano and I would go in and I would play my piano and sing. 
with all sorts of enthusiasm and it was real. And the people, yes, we'll sign him, we want him, blah, blah, blah. And then later on, it changed their mind because they didn't know what they wanted. What they bought was a performance. When I would go, we would go like in a rehearsal room or in their office, and I'd start playing. And I, I had that old Jerry Lee Lewis style. And I'd be playing and dancing at the same time. And they said, oh, this motherfucker here gonna be the next Jesus Christ, you know? And hey, uh, but then when they sat down to try to figure out, said, what are we gonna do with this son of a bitch? Who, we, we don't even have a, a job that even plays that kind of shit, you know? Cause I, I came up with a lot of country in me and blues, <laughs> but it wasn't enough for anything for those A&R guys to, to pull from. They uh, are here. You know, they they needed some, nobody wanted to do any work on anything. And my stuff was really uninteresting. Um, now, where I'm going right this moment is that album, uh, Sorry You Couldn't Make It, the uh, most of the songs I was looking through my folders uh, a couple of days ago, about four of those songs were written in the 60s. Like yes. Sleeping Without Jules of Drag. Yeah. Did that run 1966, 67? And, um, but it was always supposed to be a country song. Yeah, but, that demos project that you put on Bandcamp, that was like some of the original recordings from like the 70s, right? 60s, 70s? Um, no, not the recordings, the songs were. The songs. But, but not the recordings, but no. the, they did put out a promotional 45. Did you see that? It, it's got three songs on it. Sleeping Without You as a Drag and two others that I can't think of right this minute. Uh, are you familiar with this? I'm just familiar with the cassette of the demos. I didn't see the 45 yet. Okay, well, the demo, the cassette, I haven't seen, I got the demo, but I haven't seen the cassette, but it's the same songs, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've heard the songs, yeah. There's three songs on there. Um, at the time that I wrote it, to say things like, sleeping without you is a drag would have been, and it was at the time, uh, taken as something that was kind of off color. You know, you had the bed in there, 
you sleeping together. You, uh, I've, I, I've had, I've had people that come at me from all sides, man. And um, I just stuck with what I, what I knew. Now, uh, if you tell me to go in the studio and make you a take a take a white artist and just make him make him black, I do. I can do a lot of that, and I have uh, like with back in the day with with Gene Pitney around 1967, 66, sometime. Uh, are you familiar with Gene Pitney? No. Okay, well, uh, put out about 20, 25 albums. And he had uh he had a classical voice. Nevertheless, he could get uh he he sung a lot of pop stuff, and that's where he got big and uh, I did his his last smash hit thing called um, "She's a Heartbreaker," and um, they had on the other side. To give an example, on the other side was what they really wanted to push was a song called "Conquistador," and it was like, "Come on, like." Conquistador, you know that bullshit, and and but they they wouldn't let me have both sides because I was black, and they wouldn't let me have the entire album because I was black. They wanted eight. They had a bunch of white boys that was used to getting their way. Uh, like Bob Crew and uh, I can't even think of the rest of them that was in that the guys that was producing the the uh, Four Seasons um, and um, I went to this company. They signed me as an artist and as a a, a songwriter. It was called Musical, and they had had so many hits uh, by Gene Pitney, and I never had met Pit Pitney, and I had a little cubicle there where I worked, and they came back one day and told me, said, look, Gene is coming in tomorrow. And I don't, we don't want you to be fucking with him. You know, don't, don't try to sell him nothing. Don't try to, I say, okay. You know, it, it, as a matter of fact, he was cold as ice. The, the only thing he, I mean, he could still sing and draw auditorium crowds but he was cold, cold as hell. So, and I wanted my job, so I wasn't gonna say nothing to it. But then he heard me in my little cubicle 
playing piano and singing, right? And he walked in there and stood, his hands in his pocket. And he said, damn, I wish I could sing like you. I said, oh God, you're gonna make me lose my job. This, uh, <laughs> I said, man, you don't wanna sing like me. I mean, cause he had, look up Jean Pitney. She's over there with a book. He used to win at the Festival of Roses in Italy. And he was just, he was just a superstar. He was a superstar. Yeah. And um, he wanted to go in the studio so nobody above my bosses and so forth, they didn't, they found out that he was going in the studio with me and they came to me and they said, didn't we tell you not to be fucking with Pitney? I said, man, the, the motherfucker came in my office and started talking about singing like me and shit. I said, and so they, they didn't say no more. I went in the studio and I recorded him. Now he wanted to sing like me so much that he would put his earphones on and have one side open uh, and the other side closed so that he could hear he could hear me singing. In other words, my my track, I would lay a track vocally. And then he would actually learn it my way using my inflections and all that, the same thing. Now, uh, they were so sure, they fired me too for that. They were so sure that I was wrong that uh, uh, they, they fired me and, uh, and, and put the record out under the initials P period, G period, which was number just a flip around of Gene Pitney. Um, he was a pop artist and he would go on pop radio right away. And the disc jockeys started calling up, want to know what's this PG shit. And everybody knew his voice. Uh, it's like putting a record out by Elvis, you know, and calling him Sam Johnson. Yeah, ain't no Sam, that's Elvis, you know? So they put new labels and everything on the stuff. And it wouldn't go, it wouldn't go. Then they wanted me to come back, but I had found me another gig at Atlantic Records, you know, where yeah. I had fun. What was yeah, it like being the, you were the first black producer ever hired at Atlantic Records, right? No. You weren't? Yes, yes and no. Oh. I was the first in-house black producer. Mm. Everybody that was producing black music over there was white. And a, uh, some of the enforcers uh, like CORE, NAACP, 
there's um, another one, um, Fair Play Committee. They started whipping people's asses, the executives over at Atlantic. And the word got around and they said, hey, y'all gotta put some black staff in here and uh, cut, uh, well, literally, no, they didn't say that. But see, you gotta have a, um, they hired me. I co covered the whole black staff thing, I guess. And um, they had, uh, they gave me a paper, a long printout, must have been 30 artists on it. And this is right after they hired me. And they said, go through this paper and everything you see on there, if you're interested in it, we'll sign them for an additional six months. And if you don't like them, you know, they toast. So I kept Patty LaBelle, the, a group called the Precisions. Uh, they was getting ready to cut the Commodores loose. Nobody really knows that I was the first to cut the Commodores, but I'm not bragging about the record cause I really didn't have a direction um, that, and enough time to work. They sent me to Tuskegee, Alabama to rehearse them for like a week and then bring them to New York and record them. And they thought so little of the Commodores that they wouldn't even allow me to record them in the Atlantic studio. I had to take them someplace else. Uh, which I took them to uh, over to where I had just gotten fired from because they had the newest and one of the best studios around. Long story, but uh, they left there and they went to Motown. Um, they were they were an instrumental group, and but and what's name when I cut them. Show you how far my shit goes back. Lionel Richie was playing saxophone. You know, he, <laughs> he wasn't singing, he was playing saxophone. Um, he was good though, but that's what he was doing. And uh, I talked him into singing a part of uh, two songs. Uh, Losing You by the Temptations. And uh, I think who's making love to your old lady while you're out making love by Johnny Taylor. I think the, I know the, the first one was on there. What should we be looking out for from you next? 
I've got I've got a what I just call an R&B album, but one of the, the main song on it is I Need a Job. And with the way things are in this country, it's a true statement. It's, it's something people are living all the time. Damn it. Everybody needs a job. And it's going to be like that for the next couple of years. It's going to get better, I hope. And, but that's it. That I think that's the most uh, 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 creative juice that I have put together. We started writing songs like we got um, like I said, we got got that boy coming out. I get a lot of uh, samples. Hmm. A lot of people sample my shit, and I some of it I don't even know, and some of it I do. Uh, I do know now uh who's cutting what because most of the the majors have signed up all of these small companies mm. and before they put the records out and get sued for millions of dollars um they uh they investigated and uh Therefore, there's you know there's no lawsuits. Everybody's happy, and uh, and it happened. I had an artist on my label. Um, his name was MC Breed. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Uh, he had a record called "Ain't No Future in Your Frontin'," and record went on, went past gold and all that kind of shit. And uh, then naturally, he and I got into a squabble. So while we squabbling, the white man comes through and fills his head full of shit. As a result, we missed $8 million. Yeah, that's what we had made up to that point. And this dummy went on and signed some old stupid shit. And um, young, he was young too. Look him up, you, you MC Breed. Yeah, he I had a, him up. huh? I just looked him up. Yeah. Um, he got, and then he got, got me sued and everything. And, but I still fuck with them because they are what's happening, you know? Yeah, yeah they definitely. Gonna, they're not gonna make me mad enough to walk away. <laughs> yeah, I fuck it. Yeah, I took, well, I took half a pie. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. We really appreciate it. We love the conversation. And you're such a legend. You really inspire me personally. 
Um, so thank you for all that you do. You play an uh, instrument? Huh? Piano. I used to play the piano. And you stopped. Uh, no, I still play, but I went to college. But I used to like play like intensely. But now I only do it for fun. Was music your major? Um, no. I no. What was your major? Uh, political science and cinema. That was my major. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, political science. <laughs> do you like? Did you it. like it? Did you learn anything? Hell no. Hell no. Uh, right. Exactly. I, I, and <laughs> my my instructor, who was black, I found out later he was uh, communist. Oh. So he, he couldn't really teach us uh, the way, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't give us the yeah. real deal. He was just giving us his side of the story. Right. Know? Something about that does not seem right. I know. Yeah. Political science. Because <laughs> I don't have a 14 credits. I got, <laughs> I got out of there. I, I did one, uh, what? Two semesters was it something whatever <laughs> gave me 14 credits and uh yeah it was funny uh i was i was feeling something about you while we were talking and that's why i asked you that question you felt anyway. the political science energy <laughs> yeah yeah well my teacher's not a communist so maybe i'm learning a little bit more than you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much we really appreciate it and we'll be in touch for sure thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of two virgins we hope you enjoyed getting to know swamp dog and check out his album sorry you couldn't make it you can find this episode on quarantinecontent.com or on our weekly newsletter the q see you next week